You guys know what I am? Driving? <laughs> no, I, I don't know. <laughs> okay. We're gonna do this. We're gonna do this live. So what is this? Is this a drum roll? No. Is it Come on. is this Morse code? We need more people. We need more people. I'm gonna go to the Twitters. Alright. We are you live on YouTube talking about the news. Talking about the news. Alright, you wanna hit the Discord? I already did. I already hit right, that. So we should have people starting to roll in here. At some point. I mean, that's the hope. Yeah. If, All right. Five. What am I? That's right, James. YouTube live. Right. Who's this? James, what is this? What is this? Go. What am I doing? God damn it. I'm testing pens. I'm a pen tester. Oh, oh gosh. Yeah, my I bad. My bad. What's with the people from the Netherlands? Like, we start we... doing news. And it's like Shannon comes in, she's like, what did I just come in? Uh, so this is a completely different take on the news. As far as I know, this has never been done ever in the history of any newscast where we do news and at the same time, we take questions from the audience directly. Mm. Shannon's like, this is very annoying. Yes, yeah. yes, it is. That was me yes. doing pen testing. Wow, there's, um, like, there's 69 people here. And I didn't say that just because it's 73. All right, moving on. Are we going to bring up Trump and the 197? I, I, we know that that's fake because none of y'all got the pen testing joke. Yeah. Um, well, so let's, uh, let's go ahead and let's discuss what this is. Right. So I am here with Jason. And What's up? I'm going, we're going to go through a series of, uh, of, of, of news stories that are happening currently. And we're going to talk mm -hmm. about those mm -hmm. news stories and how that relates to actual companies and you all trying to do computer security. And we're going to try to make it fun. And I'm going to have all these different things. Alan asked, are we doing a news channel? Yes, this is it, Alan. <laughs> You're here. <laughs> oh, we need that at the beginning of this. Like, yes. And then a really kicking baseline, like Black Hills Information Security News, where you get your news. Something like that. And that's Actually, purely original. Ryan, can you please just that. take just take that the audio from that? We don't need like a full. It's splice just it. John. It's just Let's splice it. Yeah. So right now it's three grown men who can't get enough of each other. Um, <laughs> but the goal of this is to bring in some additional people. So we're always going to have someone who's technical, and then we're going to uh, deviance on. <laughs> Dude, <laughs> hello, I deviant. Say thank thank you. you so much. There's been a couple of uh, tweets that you put out that I looked at today that I had to laugh out loud, literally at four o'clock in the morning. Erica thought something was wrong with me because um, it's not right for someone to be laughing on the toilet. Uh, okay. So just want to say thank you very much for coming. This is BHIS News. Um, we're going to start trying to do this and this is a bit different. So we're actually going to do news stories. So there's going to be one person technical and then another person that's not technical. In this that's situation, me. it's my lovely assistant, Jason. Yeah, Ryan, if you could go full screen with me at any point, that would be fantastic. It's that's yeah, okay. Yep. Yeah, it's not on. Yep. And then the other thing that we're going to do is we're going to be taking comments from you all um, as we do the news. And you can ask me questions about these different things. Uh, and this is completely like we just tested the setup. And I'm like, hey, let's do this. And they're like, now? Jason's like, hell yes. And Ryan's like, oh, my God. Uh, but Ryan's rolling with it. Ryan's our producer in the background. John mm. needs a nap, I think. No, I just need more caffeine. Yeah. So I want to start at the very tippy top of the news. Let's start right here, folks. Everybody, I, I just want you to know that um, our first news story for the day is that LendingTree's uh, current mortgage rate is at 2.39% APR. 
and you can, oh wait, oh God, no, wait, let me scroll down. Oh, here's the news story for this one. Um, Hunter Biden's laptop, a Russian trick, a hack job, or just what it looks like. I love so, that this is the first, this yeah, is the first jumping, story. We're jumping just, straight into the Hunter Biden thing, right? Like, just go for it. Just, yeah, let's just, just go straight. Because other news stories, they would avoid this, but they mm -hmm. have shame. Um, so there's been a lot of really, really interesting comments about whether or not this is real or not. But I want to boil it down to some simple rules. Right now, we don't know, right? So if you're looking at the information security community, right now, we don't have enough data to actually look at this and say that this is, in fact, real. We can't say if it's Russian. We can't say if the hard drive is hacked. We can't say hardly anything uh, about this particular case, other than some screenshots of some pictures that have been released. And kind of you know, taking off politics for a second on whether or not we care about Hunter Biden smoking crack in bed. Because if you're going to smoke crack, it seems to me like that would be the place one would do it. Yeah, but it makes a lot of it, sense. It does, right? Because he's actually asleep in one of them. Hunter, you don't smoke in bed, man. That's, that's how houses burn down. But all of this crap can be faked from what we've seen. From a security perspective, it absolutely can. Is it? Hell, I don't know. Honestly, I don't. But let's talk about the lesson that can, in fact, be from this particular incident and how it relates to computer security professionals as a whole. The big lesson I'd like you to take from this is the idea of chain of custody. Whenever we're talking about something that's evidence that could actually be used in a court of law, and just so you know, the court of opinion is completely different than a court of law whenever we're dealing with these types of things. So if you ever have any evidence, please do me a solid favor. If you're ever working a forensics engagement, never do what Rudy Giuliani did. Ever. Like That's just not the way this crap is done at all. Because from what we've been able to piece together, the shop owner actually accessed those computer systems. If you were doing a forensics investigation, you would not do that, right? You would back the hard drives, do full forensics. Image. You would do hashing to basically make sure that those hard drive images, if you share them with law enforcement, aren't going to be modified. You wouldn't log in, peruse the dude's emails and say, this is comfortable and call Rudy Giuliani. So you would do a hard drive backup. You would do hashing of those hard drives. And if you handed it over to attorneys or Rudy Giuliani, who sometimes acts um, you would then do a chain of custody form. You would hand it over to Rudy Giuliani attorneys. They would sign off on it. You would sign off on their chain of custody form. You would both validate the hashes and you would maintain that idea of integrity of that evidence. Hey, John. And everything that we've seen here, we haven't seen that. Yeah, Jason, what you got? Yeah, what are, what are hashes and why would that matter? Hashes, why does that matter? Good question. So whenever you're looking at a hash, the technical way that we refer to a hash, is it is a variable length input, fixed length output. And that output should be unique for every different type of file or modification of a file that is put out. So the easier way to remember it is think of it as a digital fingerprint. We can actually do a digital fingerprint or DNA to basically say that this particular hard drive is, and we can say that as we're doing investigation on the same hard drive, that we're working off of the exact same evidence. And that fingerprint gives us that type of uniqueness. But here's the fun part. It's actually way more unique than actual fingerprint. Um, usually when forensics investigators process hard, they calculate multiple different types of hashes because some hashes are a little bit weaker than others. So great question.
Um, so do we have any like actual questions as you're seeing these things? Fun comments come. Uh, something like how long would it take to hash a one terabyte hard drive? How long would it take to hash a one terabyte hard drive? Great question. It depends on the hard drive, depends on the connector that you're using, and um, it depends on the computer that's actually calculating the hash. So whenever we're looking at doing hashing and we're using something like a Tableau Firefly, um, a bunch of different tools out there, where we're actually plugging it into the hard drive, doing the duplication, and we're actually calculating the hash, it can sometimes take an hour, it can sometimes take about 15 minutes. The general rule of thumb, more hard drive space, solid state drives, get away from spinning media, lots of CPU is better. It'll go faster. And also and whenever you're doing that hash, usually do it you know, before you actually start doing any forensics investing. Great question. Do you have the issue where you like, you don't want to write to it while you're trying to capture the hash or just like all those devices that make that thing work? Absolutely. And you can do that in two different ways. You can do it either with a hard, like a hardware-based write blocker. And that's great if you ever go to court where you can sit down and you can tell the judge and the jury that the actual wires to write to the hard drive are not there. They kind of understand that. Or you can also mount the hard drive as read only and duplicate it that way. If you do it that way, you want to date and timestamp your records and take a screenshot of the command that you ran when you mounted the hard drive read only. So you can actually verify it after it goes to court. So great. Any other questions? Uh, it's just a lot of like, you know, is this a diff information campaign? Like what's going on? I think there's a lot of questions just about like what the thing is. But I mean, you're getting into the InfoSec like actual. Yeah, I don't know if people want me to talk about the InfoSec or speculate because I'm not going to do that. No, um, yeah, I, I value, I value, I value my sanity as near as I can read about hard drives, the more insane it gets. I don't know if everybody saw this, but it just came out that Borat actually punked Rudy Giuliani. Um, and that's funny. This is just the election season that keeps giving. I have two parts of my mind. Part of me is like the logical person that's screaming and yelling and cowering in fear in the corner. And the other person is a chaos monkey. Um, I'm a political science major and I love chaos and political chaos is the best kind of chaos. And that monkey is really happy right now. But that, that monkey's a bad, bad monkey. All right. So what else do we have? Uh, any uh, other questions? I mean, I, I would say just keep going with, uh, with the news and we'll just keep going. Here. All right, let's do it. Um, the next one that I want to talk about is we have ransom, donating ransom to charity. This is one of those, like, I, 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 I've got, you know, the weirdest excited feeling right now. I don't know how to feel about this because we have these, comp you have these groups, uh, the Dark Side Ransomware Gang is hacking companies and then they're donating it to charity. So you kind of get that Robin Hood vibe, but at the end of the day, seriously, it's still breaking into organizations without It's still using ransomware attacks, still hurting uh, different organizations as well. But this is kind of getting into, um, it's kind of getting into uh, some uncharted ch territory, right? A lot of hacking groups over the years, especially whenever we were dealing with Anonymous, LUTSEC, and all of these different groups, they always talked about social justice issues. They always talked about, you know, being a force for good. But most of the time, whenever you actually apprehended these hackers, you actually found out that they were, in fact, just straight up illegal hackers and they weren't actually good people. They put themselves on a pedestal. Now we have a hacking group that's actually giving money to charity. Um, once again, this is wrong. 
But what I think this is, is we actually have professionals that have good paying jobs that are getting bored. Um, so this brings up a whole nother paradigm, I think, whenever we're talking cybersecurity risks, not necessarily just organized crime, not just nation state level hackers, but you might be dealing with a, kind of that, I don't want to say gray hat, but what traditionally would have been in that category of gray hat. So this is an interesting progression. It also feels a lot like people that are taking their cues from something like Mr. Robot. Uh, hacking is cool and they're defining what hacking actually is. It's interesting because if you look at some of the original pictures of DEF CON years ago, they were just nerds wearing white shirts, button up shirts. They didn't look anything like what we consider to be hackers today. And then the movie Hackers came out and it defined kind of the actions, it defined the attitudes, it defined the fashion of hacking moving forward. And I believe that Mr. Robot is now kind of our defining point moving forward of what hackers actually are as well. Uh, so Jason, just... any questions on this? Uh, a couple of things. Couldn't they cut out the middleman and just have the the money just go straight to the charities instead of like to them and then them to the charities? So what they're doing when the money goes to them, actually having the money transferred via Bitcoin. Um, and this is a way of them trying to protect themselves. So if that money is actually transferred via Bitcoin, it's a little bit more difficult to track where that money actually goes. You can track which wallet it went to. You can track when that wallet is then active and transferring it to another Bitcoin address. You can track those things, but actually tracking that back individuals is somewhat more difficult. So they're creating this kind of middle barrier with Bitcoin and they're doing it to create a little bit more separation. So any more questions on that? Uh, looks like, you know, what do you think about should, I guess this is maybe not like, more of an ethical question, should the nonprofits decline the charitable donations? I'd have to say that's their call. I mean, yeah. I don't know. But at the same time, if you're trying to get one, I don't know. You, you, money's money, water's water. So Jim wants to know, how do you track and trace Bitcoin? Um, you can actually, there's actually Bitcoin trackers or blockchain. You have to check for blockchain. Do I have to drink now? Yes, you do. Damn it. Here you go. So here you have a, a blockchain explorer, and you can actually check the blocks as they're added. And you can see all, so like here's the actual hash of that block, and then the Merkle root associated with transactions are associated with. Um, so the way that you should think about these transactions, I want you to think of a block of transactions. So imagine you have an accountant and that accountant is loading up all these transactions and it's, he's loading them up like people on a bus. So the account's going through and it's loading up all these different transactions on the bus and the bus is waiting, 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 waiting. So all of these block transactions that you see down here are loaded up on the bus, right? Then you have a whole bunch of different Bitcoin miners that are working to generate a hash of all of those transactions in that block that start with a certain number of zeros. Uh, once they find a hash that matches those certain number of zeros, it's then validated by multiple nodes, and then it's verified as the appropriate hash for that block of chains, and the bus goes and becomes part of the blockchain. And all of that is public. Uh, just by the way that Bitcoin actually works, it is absolutely public, so you can see which hashes uh, for which transactions 
how much Bitcoin was transferred to which wallets. Um, so you can see all of those different trends. So pushing things around. Great question. All right. Any other questions? Uh, what is blockchain? Now, moving on. Uh, what's the next article? All right. The next article, sticking with the Russian. Um, we have six Russian officers charged with the destructive hack campaign. Um, and I wanted to talk about this, not so much to get into Petya and not Petya, but um, if you can look at this case, and then you can also look at uh, how it relates to insurance and looking at Mondelez. If you can look at your cyber insurance policy, uh, you have to look at clauses that talk about acts of God and uh, acts of uh, terror and acts of war. And look at your cyber insurance policy and see if those clauses are actually present in your cyber insurance policy. And the reason why I think it's important to look for those things is because if you say that your insurance policy is an act of war and you have malware that was released against an attack against Ukraine that was launched from Russia, utilizing malware techniques that were created by the NS freaking A, um, all of a sudden your insurance company can say, this appears to be part of an act of war. And they can say it's two nation states that started attacking each other, or one was attacking another using cyber means. And they did that. So go ahead and drink. They did that. And then that particular malware got out of its, it took over other systems, but the insurance company may be able to say that, Hey, Petya, not Petya, whatever ransomware variant that's floating around, it's using exploits like Eternal Blue. We're currently working an incident where a company is completely compromised uh, by malware that's using Eternal Blue to spread. Your insurance company can basically weasel out of paying by saying this exploit came from the NSA, was weaponized by Russia, therefore it's technically an act of war against Ukraine. You're just a bystander, we're not paying. So you need to reach out to your attorneys you need to reach out to your, your insurance company and have them clarify what that would be, uh, what would actually be that quote unquote act of war scenario as well. So, all right. So any questions on that? So does this mean insurance companies are about to already have super advanced threat intel cells for these investigations? No, no. It, it really kind of boils down to whether or not they feel like they're going to pay it out. Um, now, some insurance companies, if you talk about that are used in like a Petya example, not Petya wanna cry, use those as examples and ask them if they would actually pay those out. Or do you have to be present in the country that was actually attacked? Ask them some very fairly pointed questions. Most insurance companies at this point aren't standing up threat intel teams and they're not even doing security assessments. They're just wanting a base level of due diligence in your policies, processes, and procedures to verify that you are actually doing some base level of security rather than many companies a few years ago were like, we can totally suck at security. And if we get hacked, we'll just have the insurance. Insurance companies did not dig on that. That did not go well. And uh, they're gonna try to find a way to get out. So most of them, I've read somewhere that it's like 85% of cyber liability claims due to ransomware or other attacks are actually paid out. But I wouldn't look at that as a shining example, be like, yeah, that'd be in middle school. Yeah, no, that we that those those percentages when you're talking fifteen to twenty five percent are huge percentages um, in the industry as a whole. All right. So we got Wade here who wants to know what's the best way to look at your contract for active war stuff. Um, go to your account and go to your legal team 
and ask them for your cyber liability insurance policy. Um, it should have came in just a, a standard PDF and your, your executive signed off and it, sent it back. And you can literally just do a search for like war, terror, acts of terror, acts of God, find those phrases and see if there's some level of clarification. If they're just in there, it just like dropped. You're going to want to contact your insurance company, get some level of clarification. And you can also ask them, are there any examples that they have? Probably not. They can't share with you directly, but have they paid out in the types of scenarios that you're concerned? So I don't know if this is the question I want to ask, but I'm going to paraphrase and make my own question. How often does legal get in the way of incident response? How often does legal get in the way of I honestly don't look at legal as getting in the way of incident response unless they're taking the lead handler off the case and they're not able to actually do their job. Um, as I talked about for years at Sands Institute, I had a case where an attorney wanted me to explain absolutely everything uh, to them. They were going through and they're like, okay, so what happened? I'm like, well, it was a buffer overflow. And they're like, what's a buffer overflow? Well, whenever you have areas in memory that aren't, don't properly set bounds checking, that data can overflow into other memory. Like, what's that? How does that work? And it sucks because you sometimes just be like, okay, we're going to start at the beginning when a man and a woman love each other very much and you're just going to kind of work up from there. So that's where lawyers can hurt. But here's the situation that's kind of cool. Lawyers can actually be really helpful. And, and the reason why is if you're working with a third party for doing incident response, like you're working with Mandiant or Black Hills Security or Rendition, if we're communicating with your attorney, then that becomes, uh, that becomes proprietary information, attorney-client privileged information that may not be easily, quote unquote, discovered if there comes out to be a lawsuit. So getting your attorneys involved can actually be really to keep some potentially sensitive data from, from being part of a discovery process that could actually hurt your company in a court of law. So great question. All right. Any more articles, John? I've got one more. This is one that popped up. Um, if you all haven't seen it, you haven't been part of it, you should be. So in our Discord channel, uh, somebody shared a really, really cool talking about ransomware, I thought I would talk about Watchpoint Data's ransomware simulator for a few minutes. Um, what this tool does, I like how it says it's ransomware simulator. It's pretty much open source ransomware. But wait, that's actually kind of cool. It has a series of PowerShell scripts that will allow you to actually go through and encrypt drives, and it will allow you to decrypt those drives. So if you want to see how your organization would react, to a ransomware situation, this is a pretty little cool little tool that you can run. A couple of quick notes on this. Always get authorization, always get approval, never run this against a live user, like freaking ever. And if you're a pen testing firm, don't do this as part of a pen test, like ever. But this is great for people to get familiar with the idea and the concepts associated with ransomware. And you can kind of play around with, you know, war game out the situation. So if you're setting up a scenario, let's say a tabletop exercise, and for that tabletop exercise, you might be using a fantastic game called Backdoors and Breaches. And you wanted to create a live fire scenario, you could actually create a couple of machines, lock the machines down, and see how your team would actually react to it, kind of walk it through, which I think is just uh, one of the coolest things ever. So I've downloaded this and it says, do I want to install it? Do I trust it since it's from the internet? What's the next thing? Hit OK? Yeah, you totally, totally <laughs> don't do that. No. All right. No. 
don't. No, just click Nest, Yes, and Always. Anytime those things pop up, those are your go-to answers. Yeah. Otherwise, you're just going to be a nerd, and you don't want to be Cobra Kai. <laughs> I definitely do this redemptious. I definitely do this during an which I think is awesome. So <laughs> in the beginning, the universe was made a lot widely regarded as so two quick last trivia questions. Uh, what book is that from? Uh, because I like that quote and I love that series. And then I also wanted to ask you all this picture next to me. Uh, what movie is this picture from? We'll kind of ask some of those things. Can, can I answer? <laughs> we'll give it a little bit for people. To uh, okay. Okay. All right. So how do you feel it went, Jason? We can now do the um, little, little post-show banter. Uh, yeah, you still have some audio dropping, uh, so that Again. yeah, yeah, it's still the same issue we're having before, which is frustrating. Um, but as far as just hopping on here and talking about the news with like feedback from an audience, like, why aren't we doing this already? I don't know. I, I think it was part of it. I didn't like. Um, if you remember, I like doing webcast. I wanted to rise above that, but mm -hmm. we realized the ambulance approach was really good marketing. Uh, we should probably do that. Um, and I wanted to do it in such a way, honestly, we were talking about it. And then you and Ryan were like, we could do this as a live stream. And I think it came together to where it's something that, um, yeah, is this where we're discussing the live stream? This is meta. Uh, but since we can make it something that's interactive and different and cool, then I'm all for it. And I see that people got it. We got Nasica Valley. Uh, Valley. Great. Well done on picking out the picture. And then also the quote is from Hitchhiker's Guide to the Galaxy. Uh, so very, very, very good as well. All right. So are we ready to, to stop doing this now? Yeah. And then we'll see if there's a recording and then what happens next. And this is fun. Thanks, John. Yeah. Thank you so much. All right, everybody. Bail. Thank you all for being here for the very first one. All right. That's it. Kill it, Ryan. I'm going to get that cool bass line to intro this stuff. Security news where you get do 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 do